We launched into a new series, so if you are just joining us, you are still at the very beginning of the movie, and you have uh, joined us at what I would consider a very great and exciting time. We are looking at this idea of how do you have faith inside living out our current culture. There is all kinds of pressures, challenges, oppositions, influences, factors that go into how we live and exist in our everyday life. Not just when we gather in this room or you join us online, but as we try to live out this call of Jesus, what does that mean? What does that look like? And more importantly, and I think this is a critical question for us in the day that we live now of how do we hold on to our faith? How do we grow faith when culture is not going to support us in that? Many times culture is going to be in opposition to it. So we launched this beyond religion. How do we live beyond simply going through the motions of religion? How do we have a faith that stays intact when so many challenges come at it? And that's what we're going to be exploring. And we're going to get into the guiding document, the letter that, that we're going to use today. And it's called First Peter. And that's what you'll find in these journals that we're making available. And I really hope you've got one of those. Because there's several things that I'm going to want you to write down. Or I'm going to encourage you to write down. So that you can take this deeper into the week with you. And be more influenced by it as you study on your own. Don't just take my word for it. I want you to experience this in God's word in your life through that. And so another thing that we've also launched is is along with this series, is I started something that we haven't tried before, and I'm calling it Beyond the Sermon, because we're just so clever that way, okay? But if you want, you can text the word BEYOND to our text and church phone number, and I will receive that, and it'll, it'll sign you up for a particular list that I will send out some kind of resource each week tied to this message. This past week... For those that have already signed up, and, and over 100 people already signed up, and I was very excited about that, I sent a question. And my question was, how do you find it difficult, or what makes it challenging for you to live out your faith in this culture? I sent that message, and then I went on to the very next thing in my day. I made a phone call. I was returning a phone call to someone, and... While I'm on that phone, my phone is blowing up. Have you ever had that moment? And I thought something was wrong. I, I thought there is a glitch in my phone until I looked, and immediately I had about 20 to 25 responses to this question, and more have been coming in. So if you responded to the answering that question, I want to give you my appreciation. I didn't have time to go back and reply to everybody personally because they were coming in so quickly. But... I have been reading through those, and there is a lot of insight that you're providing. And so you're going to hear some of those come back out as we go through the series. So thank you very much for that. If you want to be part of that discussion that kind of carries on outside the sermon, send text the word beyond, just the word by itself, to that text message, and you'll be a part of that list, and I'll be sending stuff, and we'll be communicating. If you do reply to that text message... 
It only comes to me. It doesn't light up everybody else's phones. We're not going to do that to anybody. But you can join in the discussion with that. So if you have your journals, I want you to open up to the very first page where you'll see 1 Peter listed. And we're going to be there in just a second. But I want to give you an overview of the book that we gave you this past week. Last Sunday, I said that Peter is after three things. When Peter talks about the challenge of what it means to live with faith in this culture, first of all, we said that our culture is very similar to the culture that Peter's writing in. The same challenges that they were facing, we face today. Now, they may present themselves differently, but it's the same challenges. And overarching, sort of an not necessarily an outline, but the themes that are going to be repetitive throughout this book was this. Peter's going to say once again that you believe, you belong, and you behave. He says there's a certain way, certain things you set your mind on as a follower of Christ and not some deceptive things, and we're going to talk about those today, but there's a a thing that you buy into and then there's a reality of your identity, where you belong, and who you belong to, and to what group you belong to. And then a way that you live that out. And Peter is going to tie your actions right to your belief, right to your identity. And so all three of these work um, together. They work side by side each other. You really can't separate one off and say, well, I'm just going to believe the right things, but I'm not going to worry about my behavior. Or this is a very popular one today. I'm going to believe the right things, but I'm not going to belong to a church because I don't need a church. In fact, a church is the problem. A church is why I want to run away from God because I was a part of a church once and that didn't work. That's a real common story that I hear today. But Peter's going to hold all three of these things as working systems together in your life that if you will pay attention to what he teaches us and you will try to to involve all of these into your faith and realize that God, as God grows your faith, he's grown in these three different areas and you really can't dissect them. In other words, you can't isolate one off from the other and, and still have the same kind of faith that God's calling us to. And this is what Peter, the one that went through a deconstruction of his own faith, because he grew up as a faithful Jewish boy. And as, to a, as becoming a young man, he was looking for the Messiah, the hope of Israel that was going to come. And then when Jesus shows up, he initially thinks, this is him. And then he goes through doubt because Jesus appears in a different way than what he thought. He even doubted to the point where he betrays Jesus at the end of Jesus' life. He denies him. And then Jesus restores him and sets him on his mission And Peter begins to go around proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. He is the Messiah. 
all the scriptures point to him. There was this reworking in Peter's mind, understanding of what all the scriptures were pointing to. And he carried this message faithfully, and he became one of the founders of the church, this movement. Jesus handed it over to him. And Peter served faithfully with an understanding or at least a suspicion that his life was not going to end by his own hand. That he was going to be martyred in some way because Jesus had indicated that or hinted at that early on. And so Peter writes a, a message to a certain group of people. Let me show you how it opens. First Peter chapter 1. Verse, it, the, the thing starts this way. So here's the first three verses, two or three verses of, of this book. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are, and if you're circling things, elect exiles. That's a theme that's going to come up again and again. If you want to write that down or circle that. Of the dispersion. Now, dispersion was Jewish believers that had been sent throughout the world because the hostilities were growing against them. So they were scattered all around, and I'll show you a map in just a second. But this dispersion in, he lists the neighborhoods in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, I want you to highlight a few other things there real quick. Notice that in this one verse, he packs every member of what we would call the Trinity into it. Okay, According to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience in Jesus Christ. Peter is saying, here's the faith that you've been given. Here's the faith that you're called to. This is reality. Because once again, he's writing to this group that are scattered. They are in exile. Now, that's both a spiritual state and just a physical state for them. Here's, the, here's a map of the, the world that time. Um, as you can see, they've got the Mediterranean Sea down here. Jerusalem's down here. And so he's writing this area. We'll zoom in on that. He's writing this area up here. There's Bithynia, Galatia, Pontus, Cappadocia. You see that area that he's writing to. So these are displaced both in location and they're displaced because they're believing in Jesus in society. It is probably written to a mixture of, of non-Jewish Christian believers and Jewish Christian believers now. And so here are these churches, and they're without a lot of the support that society would naturally have for them because they've stepped out of some of those places and those realms and those groups because of their faith. And they feel isolated. This would be a group that if we sat around and had coffee with them one day, they would say, yeah, I don't feel like culture supporting us very much. We would say the same thing. And so Peter writes to that group, and he tells them, you are exiles. He says, you're, you are already scattered. And you're feeling that. And he's going to then encourage them in certain ways. So here's what I want to do. I want to dive in into the meat of this. Well, let's finish. The, here's, the, here's the last thing of his introduction. Verse 3. Blessed be 
the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. And there's the focus. There's what Peter wants them to hang on to, and he's about to double down on that. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is what he is calling us to. This is his invitation. Now, I'm about to read the rest of, of, of several of the verses through verse 9 here. But I want you to remember, everything else that we read points back to this living hope. Okay, He is, he is pointing them to a living hope, and he's about to tell them all that that means. So, if you go, moving on, to an inheritance. Okay, Again, it's all pointing back to the living hope that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter is identifying a factor in life that we need to pay attention to. And it says, You've been given this living hope. And what Peter is doing is he wants to establish us somewhere. Because where we establish our hope makes a difference. Because part of the struggle that we're up against with culture right now is culture wants to bait us into all kinds of things to place our hope into. And if you think about this, this is really one of the challenges, and this, this sums up some of the challenges that I received through the text message this past week, is that culture feels like it's pointing us in all kinds of different directions, and we're being led down, invited to come sample this, different things in culture, all for the hope, for the promise that you will be fulfilled if you pursue this, does this sound anything like the culture that you're living in right now? There is this sense that we can all pursue the greatest fulfillment in our life, and you are the captain of your ship, and if you will simply reach deep inside yourself and figure out whatever your true self is, and you will pursue that with an abandonment, then you will be completely fulfilled. What culture's saying, it's not using the same word that Peter is, but it would say, come find your hope in this thing or that thing or whatever it is opening up to. And there is a war that is being waged for your life. 
because we are in a spiritual battle. As I prepared for this series, uh, I read a book called Live No Lies by John Mark Comer. And I'm going to recommend that book if you want to um, make a note. Live No Lies. He sums up this battle this way, and he's going to have three enemies that are in collusion with each other to war against us. And I'm going to unpack it with this sentence, and then I'll show you a little bit of a diagram with this. Uh, Comer says this, As followers of Jesus, we are at war with deceptive ideas that play to our disordered desires normalized in a sinful society. This is what we face. Deceptive ideas that play to our desired, uh, disordered desires and they become normalized in a simple society. It may be easier to visualize the progression more like this. And what Comer does is he assigns roles to each of this. So this, these deceptive ideas, it's the devil. It's the lies. It's the, he's the father of lies. This goes all the way back to Genesis. And there's the story at the beginning of Genesis in your Bibles where Adam and Eve, the first man and woman ever created by God, they're in a beautiful place. They're in paradise. They've got one instruction, one limitation placed on them. Do not eat of this particular tree and Satan comes along, and wouldn't you know, the one temptation that he has for them is he challenges that one limit. And he challenges them in a great way. Because they respond back and says, we, we've been told we would die. And Satan comes along and says, oh, do you think you're really going to die? Did God really say that? And what the lie of Satan at that moment is... He starts to play on their desires and says, you can be more like God. You can be autonomous. You can call your own shots. And he plays on that desire, that disordered desire. And then between them, because they're the only society that's going on right then, they normalize it. And it becomes the expectation of it. This is the pattern that I believe that we're up against and what the readers of 1 Peter were up against. They are existing where lies are becoming, are, are reaching to their normalized, or becoming um, desirous to their, or becoming to their disordered desires. We're beginning to pursue them. It becomes normalized in society. This is evident today in what we've done with our sexual ethic in our culture. The lie of it's simply a physical interaction, totally removed from everything else. It can be transactional in its nature. It need not come in the context of a man and a woman inside the covenant of marriage. That's old-fashioned. That's out of play. Here's the lie. You take control of your own sexual body and you be in charge. 
you pursue a desire that God created, but because of the lie, it becomes disordered. And culture is there to help, right? And isn't it crazy how what culture does? It will bait us right up to the line. And then at some point when we step over or fall over the line, then what does culture do? turns around and shames us. Points a finger. We end up in cancel culture now. But back here the lie was everything is permissible. And culture will tell you, and ideas down here, what culture wants you to do is build your life on this lie. And if this lie isn't good for you, build your life on the next lie or the next or the next. Build your life on your success. Build your life on sex. Build your life on wealth. Build your life on your personal happiness. But you're always the one pursuing that. And so Peter comes along And he recognizes that in their day, and he recognizes in ours, and he says, you have these desires. And the fact that you have desires is not in and of itself evil. God gave you desires. God created that in you. I mean, if you have a desire for food, that's because you're hungry. God created that desire. God created your body. And he created the desires for physical intimacy. That is from God. What happens, though, is they become twisted. And so Peter's going to help them, help these first readers, and help us separate out these desires with an understanding of what lies below the desires, actually. And Peter's about to make the case that... If you've got a desire, let's figure out what your ultimate desire is. Let's get to the bottom of all your desires, because there's one that Peter knows that's there. There's a desire for a connection with a God that created you that underlies all the other desires, and he's going to encourage us to pursue that, and that's what he's going to call our living hope. And there's a great quote that comes out of C.S. Lewis and Mere Christianity. And he's talking about these desires and the reality of that one desire that supersedes them all. And here's what he says. I love this quote. I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy. The most probable explanation then is that I was made for another world. So ultimately what he's saying is, is if you find a desire that ultimately cannot be satisfied in this world, there's the reality that you were made for another world. This is why some of your, even your good desires, cannot be the living hope because they can fade and they can, they can fall. And so Peter, um, C.S. Lewis is saying when you discover that desire that cannot be met in this world, you... We're created for another world. This is what Peter is saying when he says to the exiles. This world is not your home. So what I'd like to do, I'm going to give you three takeaways from this message. From what I think Peter has for us. The first one is this. Home is where your hope is. Home is where your hope is. 
Wherever your ultimate hope is, that's what you're going to consider home. What Peter is reminding us of and what C.S. Lewis is echoing is that this is not home. We are the visiting team here. We don't have the home court advantage. We weren't supposed to. Peter is going to go back and say, you have a living hope as an exile. And later in 1 Peter, he's going to come along and say, say, you're sojourners. You're aliens in this land. He says, don't get too comfortable here. Because your living hope, your ultimate hope, the desire for which you were designed, can only be fulfilled someplace else, in another world for which you were created. And do you remember that part where he says, this hope doesn't fade? Back in verse 4. Let's go back to that real quick, Randy. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading and guarded. See what he's doing there? He's packing it on saying, every other hope that you have fades. Every other hope that you have diminishes, even the good ones. You can hope and invest in having a great marriage, and we hope you do. It will still fade. At some point, most likely, there's a funeral. And one continues on, and one doesn't. There can be betrayal even inside the marriage. At some point, if your hope is in your physical ability, it will fail. Some of you are young enough. You don't know what I'm talking about yet. But time marches on right across your face, okay? There's decay there. There's limitations there. Your wealth We've seen economic swings where 401ks and investments lose 50%. Your hope cannot be there. What Peter is saying is that you have a living hope that does not fade. It's not subject to death. And here's why. Because living hope is the only hope that outlasts the grave. Living hope is the only hope, the only thing that you can desire that it outlasts the grave. Because everything else that you pursue has got a timer on it. It's got an expiration date on it. The good things and the bad things. The things that it's noble to pursue and the things that it's selfish to pursue. But if your hope is in your spouse, or if your hope is in having a spouse someday, or if your hope is all in your children, that they will turn out exactly the way that you want them to, good luck. Adam and Eve took of the apple 
They betrayed God, and God's punishment for, for them was giving them children of their own. But it fades. It decays. Because for every other hope that you have out there, you have a terminal point, and it's called the grave. And we have loss in this world. This is why Peter refers to Jesus as the living hope. Not just a hope, but the living hope. Because his is the only hope that outlasts the grave. Peter knows that Jesus went to a cross and suffered death at the hands of the Romans. He knows that he was put into a grave. And three days later, against all odds, Peter finds himself running to that grave and looking into that tomb and realizing that his world has just been turned upside down. That's what Peter experienced. That's what he's writing in his letter. And so if you put, so what Peter wants us to understand is that you're created for a hope that is being kept unblemished, unfading, undecaying in heaven for you. It is a living hope. Because this world's not your home. That world is. And so here's the last challenge I have for you. You will either pursue a living hope or cling to a dying wish. All other hopes that you have are dying wishes. But Peter is saying, by God's power and the reality of the Spirit... Jesus presents himself as your living hope that the grave cannot rob. Your living hope has already been tested. Satan threw his best at it, and it fell flat. And he walked out of a tomb. So the question is, what will you pursue with your life? in a culture that's going to offer you every other kind of enticement possible, what will you pursue? A living hope? Or what tragically you will find is nothing but a dying wish at the end? Peter bases all of this on the resurrection of Jesus. That, that is core for Peter in discovering who we are and how we're going to live in this culture. So I want to end this way. I want to give you some time to reflect and to pray. And we're going to play a song. This song that we introduced last week and many of our students already know, and it's a special song to them in many ways, but it's called living hope. And we're going to play, and we're going to have the words up here, and we're going to play that song, and if you know it, and if, if you want to sing along, I invite you to do that. But while we're doing this, I'm going to give you an opportunity to have a conversation 
with God. And I want to be, you to talk to God about what are you pursuing? Is it a living hope or is it a dying wish? And you to be in the span of the song, be open to what God can reveal to you about where the longing of your heart is because so many of our heart, so much of our heart keeps getting attached to things in this world. And we keep putting our hopes inside this world. But it's inviting us to one that goes through a grave and beyond. So if you would, have a conversation with God now. Jesus, you walked out of a grave and you're alive. May we turn our hearts 
and our minds and our ears and our eyes away from the lies that we're hearing. May we desire you above all. May we acknowledge that this place is not our home. But we have an inheritance that cannot fade and will not decay and cannot be taken from us. Jesus, be our living hope. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.